Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Rachel, and I am a grateful marijuana addict. My sobriety date is March 12th of 2018. I like to say that I am a, a grateful recovering member because after all of the things that I have done in my life, I definitely should have been dead about 20 years ago. Uh, it is a miracle every day that I wake up. So very grateful to have an opportunity to speak here. When I was in high school doing drama, I swore to all my drama friends that I was going to move to New York and be on Saturday Night Live. Well, here's my chance. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Oregon, and my family, uh, you know, they were in recovery. So, you know, I grew up around uh, recovery rooms uh, pretty much my entire life. You know, what I would like to talk about today is, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I have seen recovery work in and out of people's lives uh, my entire existence, and I know this works, and I know it works for me. And, you know, a part of my story, there's some relapse in there. So there's some, you know, doing some extra research. But in my heart of hearts, I know that um, having spiritual sobriety and being in recovery, doing the work, doing service is the best place for me. Um, so growing up in a family of recovery, you know, I've, I've seen my parents uh, sponsor people and watch those sponsees go in and out. Uh, we lost some people to overdose. And um, it was devastating to our recovery community and our home. Um, yeah, those people are very much, they're missed, even to this day. You know, the connections that we make in recovery, some of them are long, like life-lasting. My mom uh, got sober 38 years ago, and I just turned 41 this year to give you a little bit of perspective on that. So literally my entire life has been in these rooms. Um, you know, it wasn't always um, a blissful childhood. Um, I also have some childhood traumas with um, sexual abuse, which caused a lot of um, unhealthy survival skills that I have carried throughout my life. And I'm uh, currently working on with some outside help with a counselor and I'm I'm gr very grateful for that opportunity to uh, reestablish my core beliefs of how I see myself. Um, but my addict behavior started long before I started using. Um, I was, you know, always um, seeking attention from others, and um, that became like very obsessive behavior. So, like, I, I learned very young to. Um, you know, go after what I wanted in very unhealthy ways. And I used that for when I was, you know, trying to find pot too. Because in Oregon, it was not legal. I mean, in most people's states, it's still not legal. Um, so this was back in the uh, 2000s. And, you know, there were some very scary times for me in my teen years. Um, I had a few uh, suicide attempts, and things just got really dark for a long time. And uh, 
my parents were were there for me, and I'm very grateful for that. But it it just left, you know, a hole in me. And you hear a lot of people in the room say, like, it's a God-sized hole. I didn't know how to fill that void. You know, I filled it with all kinds of inappropriate, devious behavior that I thought would make me happy or make me feel loved or wanted by other people and relied on other people to tell me what I was worth. Uh, And, you know, inevitably that always backfires. So when I was uh, 18, I had only tried pot and I had only drank one beer and that whole time frame, like once during high school. But when I moved out on my own, um, actually I didn't even move out on my own. I moved in with a a guy that I met on a blind date. (laughs) You know, that goes to show you my, my healthy life choices. But he had uh, weed, he had alcohol, and he had housing, and that's what I needed. And, you know, I made sure that uh, I had those three things covered no matter what relationship I jumped into, and I very rarely jumped in because I actually loved the person. I just needed uh, to make sure that um, I didn't go without my weed um, or my alcohol or without housing or food. Um, And I never felt like I could um, take care of myself, like, financially or emotionally. So codependency is, like, it's a real issue, Um, which I'm I'm very grateful. I also get a chance to to work on that. You know, at one point in um, those early years, I think I was 19, so I had only been using and drinking for about a year. I moved in with one of my mom's friends over on the coast, you know, do a great geographical, I moved far away from the city because I was living in Portland and I was smoking every day, all day, drinking as much as I could, Um, but definitely smoking more than I should. I was stealing from my work so I could sell what I stole for uh, money for drugs. And, um, you know, I thought if I moved way out in the country, then everything was going to be fine, and I wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> that didn't work so well because then I still didn't get a job or anything, and I was just living off of another person. So I moved back to the city and went right back to the same you know, survival skills of relying on other people to take care of me, making sure that I always had weed, and um, I became more isolated from my family. Um, they never really understood the people that I I chose to be with. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that always made for really awkward conversations at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, like, Rachel, who's your friend? <laughs> so uh, to my mom who's listening, I'm sorry and I love you. Moving forward, I promise to take better people in my life. <laughs> so during my early 20s, you know, using those survival skills of using other people to make sure that I didn't go without what I thought was like my daily needs, which was mainly pot because I loathed myself so much because of all the shameful things that I did. Um, You know, I just went deeper and deeper into depression. Um, By the age of 22, I was homeless. And and I still relied on other people to take care of me. So I lived on their couches. I, um, for a good 
period of time, I lived in a tent on the side of uh, Highway 26, just coming outside of Portland. And, you know, I wished for death every day. And I would apologize to God for wasting this life that he gave me, but I didn't want it anymore. And sometimes when I tell people that, they're like, God, what kind of hard drugs are you doing? I'm like, no, I was just smoking weed. Like, I think I tried a few other drugs, but my obsession to hunt down weed every single day, even before food, even before trying to figure out how to get clean clothes, you know, that was a a serious spiritual malady that I just couldn't get past. My entire life revolved around finding it. Um, I tried dealing. I I was terrible at dealing drugs. (laughs) Terrible. Great at smoking it. Terrible at dealing it. But I knew the people who were good at it, so, you know, I stuck close to them. And... You know, I'm so so nice that people just didn't mind taking care of me. Um, but the people who truly loved me, like my family, they didn't know where I was. And um, my mom at the time was a drug and alcohol counselor, and she would beg me. She's like, please, you know, come stay with me. I made these copies of the workbooks for you. I got you a big book. I got you some literature, like, please come and get sober and I'll give you a place to live. And I still refused. I just, I wasn't done doing research yet. And um, I think that was definitely one of my first interventions. The next one I had, um, I had a roommate who was uh, a childhood best friend and he was like the brother that I always wanted. And he looked out for me. He made sure that I kept my job and made sure we kept food in the house and weed. And um, he was just amazing. And it got to the point where he was watching me self-destruct so much that he sat me down. And he's like, I can't watch you do this anymore. Like, you need help. Please let me help you. Um, And I refused. I moved out of our home. Um, a week later, he passed away. So, and that still rings so true to me that someone would love me so much to just, here's like a come to Jesus moment, Rachel, like you are affecting the people around you, but yet I would rather be homeless so I could go smoke as much weed as I wanted to, so I could steal alcohol, steal things from stores. Um, yeah, just, I was a very low bottom case very quickly. I finally got sober at uh, 24 and my grandparents made a deal with my dad. Like if you give her housing, we'll put her through school and we'll fix your teeth. So being homeless, um, my teeth were so bad. I stopped smiling for about two years and I am a very naturally bubbly person. I love sharing my smile with people. And for the fact that I couldn't show my teeth to people, I would cover my mouth when I was talking or laughing um, because I was so ashamed of what I had done. You know, my grandparents spent a ridiculous amount of money to get my teeth fixed. And it was a lot of work, and I was very grateful. So 
when I smile now, it's like a, a gratitude towards them for caring so much about me and making sure that I'm healthy. Telling my grandparents that I was uh, addicted to drugs, um, just weed, really, um, and that I was homeless, they didn't know that I was that bad. Um, I hid it from them, and that was uh, the hardest conversation. <laughs> so I, um, I got really into uh, meetings, step work, I got a sponsor right away and just really dived into uh, 12-step programs. Um, at the time, uh, this was uh, 2005, I want to say. Um, I did not know of MA. Man, I wish I would have found you guys sooner. I love this program. The literature really speaks to me. So at the time, I was working at NA staff work and AA I was in service work. I helped meetings get started. Um, I just really wanted to be right in the middle because my ass was falling off. I didn't know how to hold down a job. I didn't know how to get food without stealing it. Um, I mean, it's not that I didn't have parents who taught me those things. I just I smoked away all of that information, to be quite honest. I, I feel like just now in my life, I am starting to be a responsible adult and to have the opportunity to have gray hair and to have lived this long. <laughs> Man, yeah, I'm grateful for my gray hairs. So during my first uh, stint of recovery, um, I had about five years sober and, you know, I'm I got married. I had two beautiful children. Um, and, you know, my my marriage became my higher power. And I stopped doing my step work. I stopped reaching out to my sponsor. And I got deep into the drama of uh, my husband cheating on me and saying I was a boring wife. And, you know, um, so all that stuff went on my fourth step. <laughs> so I I did whatever I could to try to save my marriage, and I married a normie. I don't I don't know if he's really an addict and alcoholic or not. That is not for me to say. Um, but what I do know is that I relapsed so I could um, try to be the perfect, awesome wife. And yeah, that didn't work. No kidding. Um, I quickly, within like a couple weeks, I started smoking again every single day. I um, wasn't too much back into drinking at that point, but man, it is so true when they say like your habit just picks right back up where you left off, if not worse. That is true. For me, it is true. You know, it went right back to pot became the absolute number one importance of my life. Not my two children at that point, but how much we can I smoke before I've got to take care of the kids or cook or, you know, I can't go grocery shopping without being high. I can't, um, you know, well, I can't call my family now because I'm smoking again. Well, I can't call these people because I'm smoking again. Oh, so the shame, the shame of relapse. 
no matter if we've relapsed or not, we are always welcome back in this program and in any 12-step program. And um, I held on to that fear of being rejected, um, being exiled, <laughs> and held on to that shame um, because I felt like a terrible mom. I felt like um, a terrible person. I was given a second chance at life and I squandered it. I'm happy to report that I no longer feel that way about myself. I am glad that I have that opportunity to really see how um, my addiction will never leave me. It's always going to be there. So I stayed out using um, and I became a, a heavy drinker, a hard alcoholic for sure. Um, within six years, and, um, you know, I couldn't take care of my kids properly because I was high 24-7, and it went right back to everyone I associated with had to be a pot smoker. Um, I didn't hang out with normies. I didn't go drinking or <laughs> associate, period, with people who didn't use or like, smoke pot like me or who drank like me, and trying to be a productive mom, volunteering at my kid's school, um, was really hard to show up sober, honestly. Man. <laughs> and my son, when he was younger, he had a tremendous amount of anger issues. He was a very violent little boy. And I would say, I don't know what's wrong with him. Really? Well, let's look at the environment that he's being raised in. I got into a relationship with a person She's a very wonderful person, but she had a lot of anger issues. So with that rage mixed with my depression, mixed with being high all the time, my son didn't know what to do. His whole world was out of control. And so he was lashing out violently towards the teachers and to show up at the school. And I couldn't even be sober to talk to the principal. So like, I feel like I hit some pretty hard lows in my life. And being that I had that experience of being homeless did not even compare to the spiritual death I experienced during my relapse. I, I knew that I needed to get sober again. I just, I just felt so ashamed and my ego was like, no, I can, I can beat this. I can smoke like a normal person. I don't know what that even looks like today. <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, oh, I can drink like a normal person. No, I, I can't do that either. Definitely not. So um, it came a time where, you know, I was reaching out to my mom again, and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to help you. And my mom really needed some help as well. Uh, she had cancer, breast cancer at the time, and this is uh, spring of 2018. So I moved. Um, at the time, I was living in Washington, and I, I up here north uh, towards Seattle. I did move down to Eugene, Oregon, to take care of my mom. And my first day there was my first day sober. <laughs> I am. I keep saying that I'm grateful because I really am. I don't use that word lightly. 
And I hope that you don't either because we have been given a second chance at life. So when I moved down there, you know, I was grateful for all of the women who surrounded me and helped me um, get a job and they showed me how to be a responsible mom. They taught me how to have self-esteem. And within a couple weeks of being down there, um, a gal told me about MA, and I had just no idea you guys existed. And so I started going to MA meetings uh, in, in Eugene. Sadly, those meetings are not there. Um, they kind of closed down during COVID. So if anybody's down in Oregon listening, let's, let's start those back up again. Eugene needs them. I think every town needs them, really. But, um, you know, I got into um, service work again. You know, I got a sponsor right away. And although um, at the time I didn't get an MA sponsor, I got an AA sponsor and we worked the steps out of the big book. Like, my focus was my... Um, my addiction to weed, my codependency issues, my depression. And I was just so willing to live life differently. I, you know, you hear that uh, saying, like, the gift of desperation. I definitely was desperate. I um, had two choices, suicide um, or my kids were going to be taken away and I would go to rehab. Like, I don't honestly know how I didn't get a car into a car crash and, you know, bad things would have happened. <laughs> so a lot of bad things could have happened. And there are also, yes, those things could happen if I choose to relapse again and be like, oh, no, I got this. No, no, I don't. Um Weed addiction is a very real thing. The obsession of just drowning out all of my my pain and sorrow and my fear of being inadequate my entire life. Like I covered it with weed and it never worked. So what it's like today, um, I'm very active in service work. Um you know, I lived down in Eugene for about a year and a half, and I came up here to Washington, and I got involved in a meeting. My home group is Keep Getting Better meeting of Puyallup on Monday and Thursday nights. We're on Zoom now, and I just dove right on in. You know, I'm a public information chair for my district. Um, I was a delegate. So, I mean, I just wanted to be surrounded by recovery, like, all the time. The vast majority of people in my phone book are in a 12-step program, and I can call anyone at any time when I feel like I'm falling apart. I um, I just love the workbook, especially, and I'm, I'm, I have a sponsee. I'm taking her through the workbook. And, and just being an example of how life can get better. Um, one of the greatest things that I have gotten from my recovery is integrity. I had no idea what that word meant um, growing up. I've heard it, of course. Um, but I was taught that integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. I didn't know how to do that when I was using 
but I do now, and I have a choice to be a woman of integrity, and I'm very grateful that I, I know how to do that today. You know, we intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Um, that's a quote from the, the AA book. Um, I know how to stand up for myself today because I know the difference between right and wrong. I don't need to manipulate people to take care of things. Like, um, I am solely supporting through my own contributions. That is the second greatest thing that my recovery has given me. I take the seventh tradition very seriously um, because, you know, as you've heard, like I've lived off of people most of my life. Uh, today, I support my children. I can pay for my car and not get those repo letters in the mail and the creditors calling. You know, today I am employed and employable. And I can pass, a, you know, a UA. Thank God for that. And so I can get any job that I so desire. You know, you just got to have the willingness to go out and do it. I would just like to uh, reiterate again um, service work. Giving back to others is how I receive love from my God. It's, it's showing my God that I'm grateful that I have yet another chance to live a healthy, productive life. And there is so much room for service work in MA on the world service level, the district level, in your home groups. Having a home group to me, means that I am participating in a service position in my home group. Um, recently, I volunteered to be the secretary. Um, I've been the GSR for quite some time. And just get involved. Recovery is not just about quitting smoking pot. Being in recovery is about learning how to live life healthy and happy and when shit, I'm sorry, when things get bad, you have a backup plan and you have a set of morals and principles and people to love and support you. So this uh, summer, I went through cancer and the people in recovery surrounded me. <laughs> and it was so wonderful, so wonderful to know that I have a family here in recovery no matter what happens. So um, that is all I have for this evening. I just want to say thank you for my recovery um, and thank you for saving a spot for me. That's it.